0: We are in in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet
1: because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they
2: created. You're listening to the Truth Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think.
3: Hi and welcome to the Truth Perspective on the Thought Radio Network. I'm Joe Quinn and my co-hosts as usual this week are Neil Bradley. Hi everyone. Harrison Keeley. Hello. And Alan Martin. Hi everyone. This week we are talking about something that everyone should be aware of. You probably are aware of it in one form or another or by one name or another. But not necessarily in the way that we're going to talk about it today and its implications. Um, of course, we're talking about, I suppose, what can be termed, or what many people are terming, a radical leftist ideology that has spread, has been spreading for quite a long time, but has kind of dramatically come on the scene, I suppose you could say, in the past uh, few years particularly in Western uh, nations, but uh, evidence of it is seen all around the world. And we're just going to be exploring this topic, uh, this issue, I suppose you'd call it, uh, what it means and what it portends, if anything. Is it just a storm and a teacup, a bunch of uppity activist-type people rabble-rousing and shouting on the streets? very small minority perhaps or is it much more pernicious and widespread than that uh, and like i said what are the implications for the future of western society but possibly the entire world because everybody knows that if western society goes down then so does the rest of the world right maybe maybe not anyway i suppose the we could just start off with a few of the main examples um, of how this is manifesting in society, how it's manifesting in people's lives, um, and then take it from there. So what's the one that stands out? What's the first one?
0: Well, I think what made it appear on the scene, so to speak, and up front and center for a large number of people is the fact that there were visible demonstrations of people expressing it nice and clearly for them. Um, particularly in the aftermath of Trump's election in the U.S. So it, it took, I think it. it in, in your scenario where you have, well, what is it? Is it just a small minority of people or is it something broader and more pernicious? On the face of it, it's the first. So really, although it's a serious topic, it's not going to be that serious in the end because you'll always be comforted by the fact that, well, yeah, look at those people. They really are obviously crazy, but they're a minority and they're over there. I'll just be fine over here, Jack and life will just be grand. Except that it isn't. It's so serious that the kind of, the thing that's driving these mostly kids, the visible ones you see on the screen, smashing up campuses and and anything on the streets, you know, rage against Trump, um, is the same basic ideology and, and maybe more something, if you if something behind that, something... Uh, energetic or the same drive of, of very powerful people who do not make a scene out of themselves on the streets they're very good at, at actually hiding their identification with this very same ideology mm-hmm. or overlapping versions of it let's say
3: well the way I think of it kind of is, is that these people these activists are kind of uh, are really like the tip of the iceberg um, that has broken the surface in, in the past couple of years um, and and they're, a, they're a manifestation or a symptom of something that has been brewing away and bubbling away below the surface for, for quite a long time. Um, I mean, people could put, we could put it back to obviously feminism is one thing that uh, that that is uh, is part of this it's a, is a kind of central part of it. And feminism, as, as most people know, has been around at least in its kind of modern phase or phases has been around for. You know, really, since the 1960s, uh, and there have been various waves that they call them of feminism that has that have happened since then. Of course, in the, 19, in the 1960s, you also had um, the uh, what would you call it the the hippie movement um, that was you know had a lot to do with the ideas of social justice, anti-war, and feminism, and uh, and, and minority minority rights in particular, uh, uh, black uh, rights. Uh, in the US, so it's, it's, these kind of movements have been going ar- along for have been around for quite a long time and have been progressing and developing over the past 40 or 50 50 years, uh, and no one really saw them as the problem. Let's say they were seen as uh, part and parcel of uh, the constructive and positive dialogue uh, uh, in a healthy democracy. Let's say but it has been. A
0: vibrant civil society, as George right. Soros will
3: call it. Exactly, yes. So, but it was Trump. When Trump came along, that it just seemed to, uh, it triggered uh, an awful lot of people who apparently, we, we assume, were quite happy or quite complacent, although under Obama, you did have a lot of Black Lives Matter uh, uh, protests over the past few years before Trump. So, obviously, there was something going on there, but then, you know, black activism and that kind of stuff has been around for a long time in the US. There was nothing necessarily... Uh, to be alarmed at, uh, in that respect, although it did seem that, what was it, 2000, uh, Ferguson was 2015, wasn't it, or was, oh, what are we now, 2018, 2016 was Ferguson, I think yeah. it was summer 2016.
0: And Occupy before
3: that. Right, Occupy Wall Street. 11, right, think. that's quite a long time, time ago, but that, and that's, yeah, exactly, yeah, so uh, with these movements, but then they were all part of, it. if you look back, you can see, you know, the kind of anti-war, anti-Vietnam War movements in the past, and basically civil liberties, all that kind of, all that kind of stuff that has been going on for quite a long time so people could be excused for simply putting it down as more of the same effectively just um, the same kind of thing that's happened and as you just said uh, part of a, a vibrant uh, civil discourse um, but as we're saying it, it, it seems that the, re- the thing that kind of was the last straw for these people was uh, Trump the Trump galvanised let's say these people to really um, leverage the progress and the work that they had done, uh, uh, that had been the progress that had been made over the past thirty or forty years, incrementally over, the, over that time, and Trump was this horrific, supposedly, um, you know, setback. Antithesis of yeah. everything it stood for. Him. Yeah, it was, he threatened to undermine all, all, all that work, you know, and as a result of that, we get to see uh, what these people actually believe and what they want. And what they're willing to do. So it's ironic because Trump
0: is actually one of them. He's he's very much a product of the relative equilibrium that formed after the 60s and 70s. Trump is three times or twice a divorcee. Um, okay, he's definitely on the right, in, so to speak, in capitalist terms, big business, property, yada yada. But he's flirted so much with leftists ideas himself that he was once a member of the Democratic Party right. and then went independent briefly left that and here he is back in on, on the Republican so he's 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 not actually a kind of a he, he's very much <clears throat> a different track to say the Vice President Pence mm-hmm. who's just straight sort of funding straight now all the way all his, through his career um, so it, it's funny it, it Trump, Trump is the catalyst for them, just as he is for the response against the leftists, so to speak. Right. He, it isn't because he is ardently anti lefty. Mm-hmm. It's because he sees what's going on. Maybe he can't express it too well, but he put a bet on it, the population in general. Having having come to the end or coming close to being stretched to the limits of how much of this stuff they can take, mm-hmm. and he did a, it was a superb bet which he won
3: because mm-hmm. uh, there was a large number of people in the U.S. who were who were truly I suppose in that sense disenfranchised uh, in, in in more real ways, and those are the people that leverage, let's say, the poor uh, poor class, if you want to call it that. In America, particularly white people, because there obviously you know 75, 80 percent of the American population are white, so that was the, the largest number of people who, who voted for him because he promised to bring back jobs, all that kind of stuff. These are people who who genuinely were feeling uh, a certain level of social injustice in the sense that things could be put right. Things had been gone, were going wrong in the sense that a lot of people were uh, in traditional industries uh, were had lost their jobs or those industries were closing down and Trump promised to bring them back. And that's obviously a positive thing for any government to do and it's a legitimate thing to campaign on.
0: It wasn't just an economic, um, material-based backlash. It was a moral backlash. Mm -hmm. There's a big component to do with that. There are plenty of people are doing fairly all right who sided with Trump. And when you think back to the 90s, in the 90s there was... um, Newt Gingrich and his Moral Majority mm. movement. Um, now they got lampooned by, of course, that was the Clinton years. They'd be lampooned by allies in the media and, and so on of the Clintons. But they probably tapped into the same thing, but they didn't. It didn't break through. Maybe they didn't have quite the majority they thought, they assumed they had, or something. Or well, the, the limits of most people's ability to take uh, certain things had not yet been reached, but in the 20 years since, well, it has.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it, expen- it extends not just to, obviously, to, for, it extends into a, 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 or it has a moral dimension and also a political dimension. And it what what is happening and what we're seeing today is that the idea that, uh, which has been around for a long time, I think, uh, particularly among the, you know, uh, more progressive type people of, of who we among whom we would have numbered ourselves uh, until they moved the goalposts uh, that the idea that republican and democrat the two left right uh, political party ideologies were pff, no different i mean yeah these terms you know Republicra- republicrats and Democrats, Basically, people, you know, to, to, to make the point that there's no difference between these two parties. Um, and in that sense, in one sense, that was true. If you have a kind of ruling elite who really don't hold to any political ideology, or dispensed with it basically, and basically their, their, their common ideology is power and maintaining the presence of power. That's, that's accurate. But it's not accurate. It doesn't seem to be accurate in terms of the, the broad, uh, the, the demographic, the population in any country who would say, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. I'm left or I'm Right. Uh, those people, when they said that up here now, there's, you know, we have more evidence that, that those people were actually speaking uh, to a real uh, sense of uh, at the difference that they saw in, in, in values between right and left and that, that that does actually exist within people and maybe at a very fundamental level, maybe at a psychological, a uh, deep psychological level, there is, there are left leaning people and right leaning people, i.e., conservatives and lefties. <laughs> conservatives and people who are more open, people who are the opposite of conservative, i.e., they embrace diversity, for example, which is obviously feeds into the whole diversity movement, diversity in the population, diversity in the workplace. First of all, between men and women, you know, so more women if there's not enough women, but also more minorities, more different colored people, more different cultures, bring all those in, and that's a leftist uh, that's that's in the leftist uh, ideological camp, which is they're open to new ideas, which isn't a bad thing necessarily in itself, whereas conservatives would be more, um, would, it would hold more to, well, it comes to, yeah, conservative, what is conservative it means holding more to, a, a, and, and this isn't a bad word, either racial, <clears throat> holding more to a racial identity, whereas one person may say, may feel a natural, almost intuitive or affinity with diversity and other and for other people, you know people of other cultures of other skin colors, whatever other languages, they want to embrace that, whereas conservatives would tend to be more well those, those foreigners are a bit weird, aren't they a bit strange, like I mean they're not like us, you know so people who have they're, that natural response to difference or the other, yeah. um, it, it seems to be that seems, seems to be in people at a, at a, at a deep psychological yeah. level, and neither of them are, are necessarily bad
0: and you see well, how I'm, easy it is sorry you go Harrison, yeah
4: well d- just to to go on with that point it's there's a it kind of it doesn't really doesn't really make sense on the surface because even from that conservative viewpoint i think that you'd find that that many conservatives the way you're describing them don't actually um think or feel as much about race as the um as the leftists do it's more of a an in-group thing that happens to have race as a component a lot of the time, just, for, just because of demography, like um, just because, you know, 80% or, or whatever of Americans are white, but you'll find that um, that people of like diverse backgrounds um, are openly accepted and readily accepted in the conservative community. If they identify as a, as a conservative, right. If they have the same kind of mentality, then there's no problem in, in conservatives like to to accept someone like you know Dinesh D'Souza or you know a a homosexual a Greek Jewish whatever Catholic like uh, like Milo Yiannopoulos mm-hmm. like those like people like that um, will be accepted like there's there's no real right. kind of hard boundaries the boundaries but there are boundaries that and that's the important thing about conservatives is, is there are there are borders for conservatives like there's mm-hmm. my group. Um, a conservative group, you know, based on these on these values with these values, values yeah. kind of beliefs and anyone can can be a part of that group. But you have to have that mindset. And so um, so I think race is really secondary for the most part. Of course, you're going to get um, you're always going to have, you know, bits of actual racism in cultures. It's just kind of unavoidable. There's mm-hmm. you know, whenever you have a a, a nation with a mixed, you know, ethnic ethnic with mixed ethnic ethnic populations, you're going to have, you know, um, racism um, that comes out of that. But I think it's it's right. you know it's it's a it's a minority thing. It's at least in today's world, in today's America, um, mm-hmm. like the, and what what gets perceived as racism is actually like conservatives rejecting something that they see as different, you know, in that mm-hmm. in that population with a different skin color that mm-hmm. that is different on some other level. It's like, you know, so they might look at like, um, you know, um, black culture in America and say, well, you know, that doesn't that doesn't align with our our values the way I see it, you know, and the way Mm -hmm. I see them. And it's not it's not that they're black. It's that they don't see them as, you know, as part of the same in group. But if, if someone were to come out of the ghetto and, you know, become a conservative, you know, like them, they'd be totally welcomed. So it's it's mm. kind of like there's gray areas, exactly. and it's kind of you know when you look at it from yeah. one perspective, it might look one way, but
3: yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's I, I think racism happens or occurs when when um, when people it's kind of like the 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 I would you say the the antagonism towards another of last resort in a certain sense uh, when when you have no other way. To, when you have no other uh, way, way to establish an affinity or a, 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 a kinship with, with a person, then they c- you can use the race card basically. That would be a, a gloss on top of it. But I don't think race is ever, uh, or ever really, has been the only reason, or even the primary reason, why someone would not like another group or attack another group. Basically, I mean, like the example you're given, Harrison is if some, if, if in you know, in, in southern states. Uh, US, whatever, where supposedly there's a bunch of racists who don't like black people, whatever. If some black guy walks in there and says, you know, i uh, carrying that I love Trump sign and make, make America great sign or mm-hmm. make America great, a MAGA hat, basically, and, and starts espousing all sorts of conservative values, the guy will be immediately accepted, you know, mm-hmm. uh, by and large, unless you're talking about people who are, who are idiots, who do, who do, who have swallowed the whole kind of like racial purity thing, which are, who are very few, uh, in any population. So, So, yeah,
0: there's another example that's front and center right now that disproves the allegedly race-based nature of the so-called racism, which we must put in quotes and put it into an ideological bracket because it is not actually based in biology, skin differences and so on. And that is the current Russophobia Right. to the extent that businessmen who went to Davos recently were afraid. It's not that they were instructed some of them might have been, (laughs) but I doubt they were instructed to avoid the Russians who were gathering also in the town for all the meetings and hijinks and whatever they do. Um, They instinctively knew to avoid them and they would have been primarily drawn from the liberal cities of the US. Mm -hmm. They would have been um, close to the liberal hearts, the the liberal heart of power, so to speak, that controls the US largely. And so they were naturally getting it from the, the allegedly open side yeah. open to all things, diversity and no racism is mm-hmm. always evil and raw conditions, except when there's an artificial injunction to do so. Mm-hmm. And that's artificial injunction to be explicitly be racist essentially towards Russians right. comes from the size that screaming Trump is a racist.
3: Right. Yeah. So it's it's all, fa- uh, yeah, I mean, it speaks to a complete, uh, to people not really knowing their own motivations, not knowing their own, you know, doing it for doing things for ulterior uh, motives than they than the claim they are. And um, it's a, yeah, I mean that, that the, the the example of the Russians are is is a, is about demonization. You know, where people were for a long over a long enough period of time, if you can demonise another group, ethnic group, whatever kind of other group they are, however they are defined, if you can demonise them for long enough, and prevent your people from ever talking to them, because the last thing you want to do is to get is, is for people who are supposedly on opposite camps to actually talk to each other in a in a sane, rational way, you know, because then you start to realize that you have things in common, and there's no reason for this animosity, you know. So you want to isolate people from each other effectively, and uh, and push them into those those camps where they, they never talk and never never discuss things. But, um, yeah, but that's in in in, in the best case scenario, and there's still the problem of that is being exploited, and again, isn't necessarily something that would lead to a clash of of of, of, of groups within within a particular society. Which is this fundamental difference and maybe we should talk a little bit about that the fundamental difference between um or what seems to be a fundamental difference in, in terms of uh value systems that seems to be innate um either you're born with it or from a very early age it's kind of uh it becomes part of your it's, it's trained into you but not in a way that uh, not in a way that it's a social construct or a cultural construct or your in-group construct. I think it's it's more that it it really is a part of you. You know, it's not something you can just say, "Oh yeah, now I realize that I got these ideas from my upbringing. I'm just going to change them." Type thing. It's 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 more fundamental than that. And it's um, I mean, there's a book we've been uh, discussing and reading recently um, by um, Jonathan Haidt. Uh, what's the title? The righteous, the righteous mind. mind. The righteous mind. <clears throat> the full title
0: is "Why Religion and Politics Divide Good People."
3: Right. And his the. Have you read that book, Harrison? Yes. And so it gives a rundown of the thesis.
4: Well. Um, in one paragraph or less. In, in one paragraph. Okay. <laughs> By the end of the book, what uh, what height basically shows is that morality. Uh, morality among humans is based on um, what he well he, he basically found six foundations for morality and these are basic like templates for for how to think about things in a society um, um, and you know interactions between people and between groups that eventually like make a society work and create what we end up calling like a moral a moral foundation a moral structure. So the, the way he got there is, you know, originally by <laughs> being exposed to different moralities, um, you know, starting out with just his research into psychology, the psychology of morality, basically, and then being exposed to radically different moralities in different cultures. And so, of course, there's this element that's, you know, it's been a, a, a debate in philosophy ever since there's been philosophy is how to reconcile the uh, the competing and and different moralities of cultures with the idea that may, that there's right and wrong, you know. So if something's right in one culture and it's wrong in the other, well, which one's actually right? And um, the con- the conclusion he basically comes to is that there's these uh, foundations that are basically um, evolutionarily, um, you know, adaptive for for humans that are basically templates. So one is, for example, fairness and harm. Um, and that's the first one he looks at. And basically, that you know, his his hypothesis, uh, an explanation for how it comes about, is that um, for the you know the first humans and throughout like you know um, the history of evolution, the, um, you know the parents will, especially the mother, will um, be emotionally affected by the sight of their their child being harmed. So, in order to protect the child, because human children, especially, are the most um, you know useless <laughs> um, and um, ineffective at protecting themselves, right? They're they're totally at the at the mercy of their parents. They have to be, um, you know, guarded all of the time because they can't walk. You know, most animals can walk when they come out of the, you know, when they're born. Um, human children need that extra level of protection. So, human babies wouldn't survive if mothers and fathers, you know, weren't um, instilled with some kind of um, Compassion or you know response to the to to the harm that that comes to their children. So basically, Mm -hmm. humans are are hardwired to to um, to have a a negative reaction to the sight of harm, especially in their children, or and that extends like to their family. And that um, that basically forms a moral foundation for the the rules and structures that societies end up creating um where it will be a concern for harm and um and to prevent harm and so there are, there are six of these maybe we can get into some of them but basically they are they're like they're like templates they're like a language template in the human mind because every every human is born with like this kind of language template and it will you know if if um presented with information at a certain point in development um you know namely the 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 exposure to people speaking um that child will learn to talk now of course the language will be different the words the sounds will be different depending on what country you're in you know what language you grow up with but uh but everyone has language so the same thing with morality the the specific ways in which these moral foundations are filled out will be different but they serve the same function for all groups so you know so every group will have um will have certain social rules or just mores or values that are related to, to care, uh, and harm. They may not look exactly the same, but at the, at the foundation, that's what they come down to. And, you know, there are also others like, uh, like loyalty and authority and, um, you know, reaction to oppression. So freedom, liberty. And, uh, what are the other one or two? There's, um, uh, can't remember but uh
3: i don't have that up my head but um
4: so uh, what's what's the point then harson well the point is just that um oh well th- all of these moral foundations th- the the reason height says that they basically ex- exist is to um promote um uh to basically solidify a group, to bind people together, mm-hmm. because people who aren't bound together, people who don't have a group, people who aren't part of like something bigger than, them, than themselves, um, are actually less likely to survive. That's the evolutionary right. perspective. So basically, these these basically moralities are what bind groups together and help groups uh, survive, um, you know, right. throughout time, so they're not wiped and out. And what does he and what does he
3: say about the differences then in terms of? I mean, the title of the book is "Why People." uh well, the thing
0: I took from it is that mm-hmm. everyone is righteous about where mm-hmm. they stand because they're seeing it through what Haidt the H- calls their own moral matrix. Mm-hmm. But there's different matrices, right? Exactly. But yeah. the most important difference between them is that one is far smaller. It uses only three of these parameters. The other is far, is more complex. It's richer and he uses all six. He found overwhelming correspondence that people who li- identify as liberal/ slash left use only three people who identify as conservative/ slash right use all six
3: what are those six uh,
4: well the three that liberals do is the is care uh, care and harm that's one right and liberty oppression um, is the second and the third is I was oh uh, fairness. Right. Um, Fairness, a bit less. You know, in the beginning of the book, he gives a bit more weight to fairness. But then he actually found that what he was looking at as fairness was actually liberty and oppression um, Mm -hmm. because um, because fairness is actually proportional. So um, just to use an example, we've been talking about, you know, several times in the past several weeks about the wage gap. You know, actual fairness is people who work more should make more money. And most people actually, you know, probably the vast majority of people believe that. Um, Like intuitively, they think that if someone works more, um, they, you know, someone who works less shouldn't make as much. If you give them the same amount of money, that's unfair. It's unfair to the person that, uh, that worked more and you're basically letting a free rider, um, you know, take advantage of the system. And so that's actually less important to liberals. More important to liberals is liberty and oppression. So if they, if they see um, either themselves or some other group being oppressed, then Mm -hmm. That's wrong, and that has to be corrected. And that kind of trumps um, um, fairness and equality, or not not right, <laughs> not equality, fairness, because they want fairness. equality for all the oppressed. So right. it's not actually fair. But uh, but conservatives have all those three; they're concerned about all those three, and equally, they're equally as concerned with authority, loyalty, and sacredness, um, or sanctity, sanctity. Yeah. Right. So, but but liberals. Aren't concerned very much with those latter three— with loyalty, authority, or sanctity. Um, mm-hmm. So, well, obviously, so
3: they, yeah. So loyalty obviously wouldn't go. Loyalty wouldn't necessarily go with um, with their with their focus on uh, you know concern for the oppressed, right? Right, because the oppressed can be anybody, uh, anywhere, outside okay. of your group, everywhere. So it's this is a kind of humanitarianism, I suppose. We're em- empathizing with people of other cult- cultures and other races who are being oppressed, particularly if they're being oppressed, as as is the case, let's say, uh, uh, in the U.S. with the history of U.S. foreign policy, it's very easy to say that uh, America has been oppressing, uh, bombing, <laughs> it's a euphemism for bombing, uh, other countries uh, around the world. Um, so that give, would give rise to a lot of uh, anti-war sentiment and anti-war has been historically um, the domain of... of the left, as well, whereas conservatives uh, would tend to be not so much anti-war because of loyalty and also their respect for authority. Mm-hmm. The authority being the government and what the government does, and the military hierarchy, etc. So, um, yeah. So the the thing about the, uh, about the this the information in that that Hyde talks about is that it does seem to map to Reality it maps to uh, the human population, uh, uh, possibly all around the world, but particularly, um, I think he he really only focuses on 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 people in America,
4: right? Well, no, he has done research and and said that these these categories basically apply across um, cultures. Yeah, he's he's found to be the case in India and Brazil, and there are others
0: who have taken Moral Foundations Theory and built the same kinds of questionnaires and found the same results in their countries, which are extraordinary, even within the U.S. The acronym he comes up with uh, for uh, liberals is certain the most liberal of the liberals, they the ones who scored highest in only caring about the three of the six foundations, is weird. W e i r d Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Right, and it was extraordinary because the, the differentiation within the U.S. Once you leave the city, not only that, within the city, once you leave certain areas of the city, you come to, say, the suburbs where middle class and lower class people live. And there, it's it's far richer to find all six concerns, a, 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 more, a more complex moral is in operation among those people. So uh, it's, I found it extraordinary because I been thinking this for a couple of years now what is going on in western cities (laughs) you know this seems to be the problem this thing comes through them Mm -hmm. but it's also found in he did find the same differentiation say in brazil or at least when he corresponded with other researchers there they told him yeah we've got the same stats here once you go into the cities you find these w e r d r d weird people relative to a kind of larger mass of people who Mm -hmm. generally gravitate or orbit around
3: their moral decisions orbit around these six, the full expression of. And that's right. And that would make sense because people in cities tend to be a large number of people uh, and, and also a diverse, uh, you know, a diversity of, of, of people and of, of ideas conglomerate uh, into a city, whereas in the countryside, you know, smaller towns, uh, more locally, um, you know, Locally find our cohesive groups where, where small groups of people able to, would be able to like live in a town together would move to a small town but in a city there's, a, there's obviously the, the anonymity and at the same time the ability to interact with diverse different types of people you know many different types of people. so that would obviously appeal to to leftists and it's interesting that you do see a lot of these left-leaning um, uh, activists and, and uh, the movements that they that they create come out of places like New York. Los Angeles, you know, major, major cities, you know.
2: But do, well, do they that actually... One point, uh, I'd just like to say, uh, on that one point, we just had an article about how Jordan Peterson's new book was covered by um, various um, book review publications in the U.S. And where USA Today and Publishers Weekly and a, a whole lot of other uh, national uh, newspapers were acknowledging... Uh, Peterson's uh, success in the book. It was the Los Angeles Times and the New York Times uh, review of books that that both didn't put Peterson's uh, book high up on the list and gave really kind of shoddy criteria. Um,
4: New York Times bestseller list.
2: Yes, right. right. So uh, you know this is this is totally consistent with that. These are two uh, bastions of of liberal culture, Los Angeles. Mm. New York, both voted Democratic uh, for Hillary Clinton in the last election, and um, and mm. they can't quite bring themselves to acknowledge the objective uh, information that suggests that his uh, his his work is uh, is popular even in um, places like New York and Los Angeles.
0: Right. What were you going to say? Well, um, it doesn't end there, of course, because. <clears throat> When it comes to practice, how people actually live vis-a-vis what they say, the ideology, ideological things they tend to say about how they live, it's different. So the way they actually live is usually closer to having a full six healthy morality because in practice, do they actually interact with, uh, they say they're open to diversity, but how many of them are actually living with Immigrants, or helping them get papers, or so on.
3: Well, there's a thing that trumps those 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 kind of taste buds. He, he calls them taste buds? Yeah, right? he compares In, it to uh, a to a, a more, taste bud. a, a yeah. moral uh, palate or moral taste bud. Um, the, uh, the what what trumps that, um, obviously, is personal self interest. Ultimately, personal self interest for a lot of people. So when it comes down to it. You will give. You will exercise those those proclivities, those basic innate biological psychological tendencies uh, as part of your being, really. And this is why it's so important. This gets down to the, the very bottom, the the, the fundamental <clears throat> uh, nature of human beings. And what it poses uh, or proposes is that there are fundamental differences between human beings, and they can be broadly separated into these kind of two categories of left and right, which. It, which has, that's happened and has been the case uh, across the world certainly for the past few hundred years you know uh, we don't know about <clears throat> so much about you know further back than that but certainly uh, politics for the past few hundred years in western countries and many other countries around the world have been divided into a kind of left and right uh, strata you know so um, it, it, it it has fairly scary yeah. and, and bleak and negative implications for, for, for the future when those two uh, when those fundamental differences between ordinary people living in the in the same city or whatever uh, can, are, are are provoked or are, you know um, exacerbated because <clears throat> it's not something you can necessarily reason with uh, or get someone else to see your point of view uh, um, because th- this goes to the very bottom the very base of, of, of these people's nature basically and they, uh, how are you going to get someone to to change their their own innate biological, and psychological drives—that is, more or less who they are, who they who they see themselves, and who they actually are. Um, <clears throat> so, does everyone know where left,
0: right originates? It comes from the eve of the French Revolution in 1789, right. when the ancien regime, the aristocratic, monarchist regime in Late France, tank. had actually been liberalizing because of the growing pressure to. Be more open, democratic, and fair, and so on. And so they had the Assemblée Nationale, the parliament. Those on the left would be those who wanted change. On the left no, side of the house. Yeah. On the left side of the house, and those the deputies seated on the right were those who wanted more or less conserve the status quo. Right. And that's a bad omen because what happens next is the revolution. Heads are chopped, despite the liberalisation, the tendency towards, in theory, what the left said it wanted. Then a revolution starts, and the people of the left leading the revolution themselves get overtaken by even more extreme people who mm-hmm. then cut their heads off, who are taken over by even more, and the wave that comes behind it is now completely out of the control of the original promoters of the revolution. Mm-hmm. And for twenty years there's the terror, mm-hmm. slaughter upon slaughter, and it becomes more and more doctrinaire as, as something else comes up behind it. You know, that's where we're at right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And it's On the cusp of that, quite
0: yeah. global. It's very pronounced in the U.S., but the U.S. you know is kind of like well,
3: it's the exactly. American
0: Empire. You know, we're all living in America, so to speak. So it concerns all of us.
2: And that's yeah. a great point because you know during the uh, the Kathy Newman interview that Jordan Peterson had uh, a few weeks ago, uh, which we've discussed previously, um, you know he she she brings up the question about why he's. Comparing uh, this new leftist ideological movement to uh, first she gets it wrong and says Pinochet, but then she also mentions Mao. And, and uh, he, he likens it to a, a kind of uh, violent revolution uh, a, la, a la Mao and, and other leftist leaders who would ultimately uh, you know, kill large parts of their population in order to secure their ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very few people have made that connection. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I guess that's what we're, you know, that's what we're looking at today and, yeah, and I, I, how far this can all go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and it, it can think... go very far. I mean, we, we've, we hear activists on the left make these outrageous statements, uh, about, you know, killing all white men or not having any white men for Christmas or, or, mm. you know, things about white genocide and, And and these are statements that you would, uh, in a different context, easily attribute to a a kind of Nazi mentality, and yet it's coming Mm -hmm. out of the mouths of of you know
0: these these leftist cultural uh, ideologues. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, For now, I suspect a lot of them say it in jest, just to wind people up. mm -hmm. But, and this is something that I mean, for I, I say for Newman interviewing. Peterson was a curiosity. Well, he sounds so extreme, and he, and then when she's talking to him, he don't really mean that, you know. She doesn't see what he's seeing a few steps ahead, right? Or oh, the analysis he's done of previous episodes in other countries and in the West, and how bad things can get. That's why he's such a serious guy sitting there. Right. And he's very serious, but I'm. <laughs> I choose my words so carefully, you know. But well,
3: that's, well, that's why he's in a kind of an unenviable position. One of the reasons he's, in, or the reason his position is unenviable is because he is uh, kind of sounding the alarm bells uh, in advance. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look back at, uh, you know, revolutions and, and, and the collapse of societies or disastrous kind of... Uh, disruption or, or chaos in, in, in societies in, around the world, but let's say in, 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 in Europe over the 20th century, as Peterson talks about, uh, no one, certainly no one with any in, in, enough influence uh, said or did anything, maybe not even did anything, but certainly didn't say anything or didn't have a wide enough audience uh, to stop it from happening. Uh, We don't hear about them. All we know is that these things happened. The Bolshevik Revolution, for example, in Russia that led to the purges and and Stalin and the the, the deaths of tens of millions of people in in Stalin and Stalinist uh, Soviet Union and also uh, just before that in in Nazi Germany. You know, there there was no one with with the voice or the reach uh, to influence enough people. Just tell them to, to stop. Don't go in this direction. Now, um we today and people like peterson can use those examples to 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 make the case to say let's not do this again we have very clear examples from less than 100 years ago 70 or 80 years ago that this kind of leftist radical leftist ideology that's based effectively on oppression on the idea of oppression the idea that there are oppressed people and therefore there are oppressors and the oppressors must be overthrown and the oppressed must be put in the Formerly high positions of the of the oppressors. That is exactly what happened in effectively in in that was the ideology that, that uh, informed the, the rise of the Nazis. And it's what happened uh, as a result of the, it, it was it was the, the the central aspect of the of the Bolshevik Revolution. And um, yeah, so it was oppression and the idea that um, you should overthrow the structures, you should destroy the structures of society in the name of. Uh, oppression, I, or mm-hmm. in the name of inequality, I, there are people who don't have uh, what other people have, and therefore we must have a revolution. And obviously, a revolution for in any society is extremely destructive and generally involves the deaths of millions and millions of people. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, so, and it's an appealing thing, is Just hold that thought yeah. for a second. It's a very appealing thing, obviously, because on on if you just take it as, on a superficial level, who doesn't who who doesn't feel bad that some people or having a hard time. It goes to the core of the uh, the kind of human cooperative and uh, human relationships. Effectively, with uh, mm-hmm. it, it t- tugs at people's kind of emotional heartstrings. You know, um, yeah. to, it, to, say, to, to feel sorry for someone, all you have to do is show them a picture. Look at this poor poor child, or look at this poor person. You know, and immediately it's like, well, yes, yeah, something should be done about yeah. that. That's how it, it pings the first moral foundation. Right. For exactly. care, Right. Which all of them, which everybody, everybody has. has. But that's right. the whole point about it. So both sides have care for the other. But, you know, and I suppose if you if you leverage it enough, you can almost make some people who uh, feel, feel as if uh, a person in another country that they've never met is kind of like you can get the same response as you would to, to them seeing one of their family members almost, mm-hmm. you know, or something close to that, you know, if you push the, the rhetoric enough, you know. Right. The problem is the
0: people it. doing the pushing. Come up with shoddy solutions yeah. that harm everyone in the end. Mm-hmm. For example, opening the borders in Europe, letting in three million right. people.
4: Right. Sorry, hasn't yeah. gone. Well, one example of what you just said, Joe, is uh, well, we've see, we see it repeatedly when we've seen it repeatedly over the last 20, 30 years. The most recent example was the the young Syrian boy, right? It was caught right. in an airstrike, and and <clears throat> you know you have conservative and liberal. Um, news commentators and just people like you know crying on air, seeing this picture because because that that pings that that first moral foundation of care, right? And and so that's it's really it, it's a weird way of saying it, but it, that's it's so pernicious. The reason <clears throat> it's so pernicious is because it applies to the the moral foundations of everyone. Now, like, but what but what Neil just said is is the good point is that the the solutions offered aren't or, or make things worse, and. The reason it's so um, crazy, and the reason it's so hard to um, to combat or to get around, is because anyone that's that's um, pointing out the problems with this ideology, it, it's it's almost counterintuitive to anyone listening to the to to the criticism because because their first reaction will be, well, what you don't care about, you know, this this young Syrian boy, or what you don't mm-hmm. care about this. It's like it's very hard to respond to that because. You're put in a position where you have to say, uh, wh- wh- well, where you might appear to be um, against things like, um, um, you know, or, or for things like like sexual harassment. Like there was that that recent um, vice interview with Jordan Peterson where, where yeah. the, the vice interviewer was like, oh, well, you know, how is this not just like, um, don't, you know, don't touch the ass of your cowork- coworker. And it's like, well, of course, like, you know, people... You know, it's hard not to agree with that, right? Yeah, you know, pe- people who shouldn't just go up to to someone and you know grope them, but that's not the issue. It's like the the the, is- the issues get conflated. They, like the so from a leftist perspective, which then kind of even um, uh, it even kind of infects the right as well, the conservatives. It's it's like here's a problem. And everyone can agree with that it's a problem, and therefore we should do something about it. And we need to do something now, and 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 we need to put, like get new laws, and we need to create these new crimes in order to stop this from happening. And in the process, they they tear down what actually prevents totalitarianism from coming about. So the way this is, we started this program, Joe. Uh, you started out by talking about gender politics and feminism, and feminism really has torn out the foundation of of society to the point where totalitarianism is totally possible, and it's even it's even there already in certain areas. It's just not public, and it's just not it's just it, it hasn't uh, it hasn't basically infected everything yet. But mm-hmm. what's the so what's the first thing? That, one of the first thing that needs to happen is that you need to basically um, get rid of the rule of law. And I mean that right. generally, but specifically, what that means is that when someone's accused of a crime. Um, there has to be a trial. They have to be proven guilty. And there has hmm. to have been a crime in the first place, right, in order for this whole process to be legitimate. Well, of course, you know, if he's found, if the person, uh, if the accused is found innocent, well, then, you know, justice has been, been served. If he's found guilty, just, justice has been served either way. But the way this, that the the leftist ideology has been going for for decades, actually, and it's only, it's only, you um, it's only kind of gotten a bit worse in recent years, but it's been like that for a long time, is that no longer is the accused, um, you know, given the benefit of being presumed innocent until until proven guilty. So it's based entirely right. on accusation. And that's actually written into, like, the new laws for these new crimes where the accused doesn't have the right to defend himself, doesn't have have the right to, like, um, to confront his accuser, to present evidence. It's... Right. As long as the accuser Mm -hmm. feels they've been offended and feels that they that they have that a crime a new crime has been committed against him, then Mm -hmm. the person that she and it's usually she at this point has accused is guilty. Right. And that is so dangerous. It It is. is. And by
3: definition, in that sense, by definition of being a man, you are guilty until proven Mm -hmm. innocent. In the case of a sexual abuse allegation against you, Mm -hmm. that's where it's going. That's where it has already gone there in many in in many instances uh, where. Just and that's obviously close to that is a totalitarian ideology because like in Nazi Germany it was let's say it was the Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, by by definition of being a Jew you were automatically guilty and if someone said came up and said I saw that Jew, uh, you know, putting up a anti-Nazi poster. Uh, well, you don't need any evidence because the, the, the incriminating factor is that you're a Jew. Mm-hmm. That's that's the strongest uh, uh, evidence against you. By, by, by who you are by race you know religion whatever it is and, and that's we're seeing that with men we're seeing all these examples of of stuff that happened in these uh, other kind of totalitarian regimes where, where millions of people were killed we're seeing them happening in western society today and they're being they're being they're becoming part of 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 the rule of law of the legislation and it's happening in a very kind of well relatively i suppose subtle way compared to in the past but then you would expect that to happen because the past set stands as an example. For at least uh, it, it, it stands as a as something of a, an impediment towards doing exactly the same thing in exactly the same way as Nazi Germany or or Stalin's Russia or, or the Bolshevik Revolution again, right? Because everybody knows the knows how they happened at least on on the, on the surface. So you can't do it in overtly the same way. But we see that the same thing is happening in a much more in a more kind of convoluted circuitous. Uh, Root effectively, and and like we're talking here, it is much more pernicious because it's happening as a result of a of an appeal to people's sympathy, effectively, Mm -hmm. their sense of care. And it's 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 the, the the thing about so we said both both groups, both types of human beings, let's say, have this. Uh, care taste bud where they instinctively feel that they need to care for and that's what's being leveraged but the, the people on the on the quote unquote left uh, don't have the, the, the other uh, taste buds of, of the right which one which is uh, loyalty and that loyalty to your own group or tribe whatever you want to call it would trump this appeal to care for the other so the answer is uh, to the question that the things that you said is it's difficult for people to respond to when you're when you're accused of not caring about the syrian boy or the the picture of the poor girl elsewhere in the world the answer to that even though you'll still be accused of being a bit heartless or something is that listen i have more problems closer to home to deal with i'm sorry that other people are suffering but in my group i have people that are suffering and that's a, I think that's that's the best argument you, you could give to that. Um, but of course, the lefties tend to don't have that loyalty to an in-group. And that's also why you find them in in, in bigger cities, more than in bigger cities. And you find the the, the more right-wing or conservative uh, people in, in communities where they do develop a sense of loyalty and, and community spur to their little in-group, whereas in cities, Uh, you only have a loyalty to the kind of the ideology of diversity which is all around you and you don't necessarily you're not you don't feel a loyalty to your neighbor in a big city you may not even know him the only loyalty that you really that you have there is 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 when you get out in the streets or in your march for your cause which is diversity and everybody together type thing all all the different races together whereas uh, in, in the small town it's like listen i know my neighbor i know his problems he knows mine and we have problems. So I'm sorry, but Syrian boy is going to have to wait. And But again, it comes back to a fundamental, it seems to be something very, very fundamental that cannot be changed in human beings. Um, and that's not to say that there's anything in normal times that this left-right, these left-right kind of moral uh, structure or moral values or value system that, that, that they have can't be compatible or can't can't mm-hmm. work together in a country. But the problem is when one swings, when there's a swing to the extreme of one or the other, it's bad. Everybody knows that a polarization on one side is bad in any society. So polarization towards the conservative right kind of loyalty in-group focused side would be would mean a kind of closed society that would eventually kind of like stop functioning properly because you need an influx of new ideas and new, you know, to progress, you need new new concepts, new... Uh, Even just basic things like trade. Right, exactly. We, other groups. Right. So you need that to, to vivify and, and, and uh, help your society to progress. Um, but the problem with the left is that when it goes too to far to this extreme, it's basically, there is no loyalty to your own. It's basically everybody you know, bring in all, all others and, and you effectively eat your own. There's no, there's no loyalty to your own. There's no loyalty. There's no focus on your own um, group, your own, uh, you know, value system uh, and society and, and you don't, you basically neglect it. It's yeah. like you, you, you neglect your child basically and it dies, you know. It's, um, it's an
0: incredibly imbalanced um, moral foundation to have. Um, in the case of the the, the rape culture, Um, hysteria about campuses and so on whenever um, whenever the individual cases would actually be thrown out there was no remorse from those who were pushing it and whenever challenged they would say well in the end it's going to do the boy good anyway because now he'd be scared shitless to ever even think about doing that in the future and one went on to explain I don't remember the name she said in the long term this is good because it inculcates virtuosity in that person. We've scared Virtuousness. Virtuousness. We've scared the shit out of him, and that will actually be good for his development and the development of guys and society in general. And that that speaks to a fundamental lack of insight in thinking, in understanding that that's how it actually works. You don't do it that way. That's why Jordan Peterson is going around and, and is such a hit with people, because he is doing it the right way by telling people, you gain or remember or grow new virtues, so to speak, through yourself, not by correcting the world out there. It's it's a fundamentally different way of doing it. There's only one basically right way in this scenario. And doing it by legislating and punishing, the the, the lack of insight is staggering. And of course, you you gave the, the extreme example. Well, they think, oh, well, don't worry, this is just about them sexual harassment it'll end there of course it won't their insight blocks them from even realizing the obvious which is that once you set a precedent in this area in this field it's going to go over here it's going to go it's going to go everywhere Mm -hmm. everyone is guilty until what complete obeisance until I mean, the extreme in Canada that got Peterson off and running was was the changing of language. Mm-hmm. You, you must speak a certain way. Forced speech, yeah. Uh, well, on that subject, Neil, I, I just
2: rewatched a couple of minutes of Peterson kind of addressing a a crowd of uh, you know some transgendered and LGBT uh, individuals, where you know he said that in. In the long run, their attitude towards um, having their uh, preferred pronoun legislated was not good for them. And, and their response was, you know, basically, if, if you're not with us on this, you're against us. I'm paraphrasing. But, I mean, it, it harkens back to, uh, you know, George Bush Jr., W's, uh, if you're not with us, you're against us attitude regarding terrorism. Uh, there is no middle ground, there is no dialogue, there is no uh, uh, logos, there is no, um, there is no room for anything that isn't um, an agreement with their emotional appeal to their side. Uh, and you see the same thing with, you know, just to use another example here, that's kind of uh, um, been around for quite a while, but has seen its, its apogee in, in recent years, uh, the BDS legislation, you can't even advocate for boycott, divest sanctions against Israel um, without being accused of hate crime in certain places. Uh, so this is, you know, liberalism uh, weaponized in a geopolitical level. Um, and mm-hmm. and, it, and and we can you know there there are just dozens of examples of it that that we're seeing all the time. It's pervasive and it is pernicious mm-hmm. uh, because who wants to be accused of of hating Jews of being an anti semite? Uh, but to come up with any kind mm-hmm. of policy to uh, to address the the issues of of Israel's treatment of or maltreatment of Palestinians, uh, you, you know you you must be a an anti semite. So. Uh, you know, and it, it it's very similar in in co- in color or tone to feminism, uh, where if you don't agree with the feminist take on certain things, uh, then then you must be anti woman or misogynistic or you patriarchal. Uh, and that there was that neat little video that uh, about uh, Trudeau, uh, the Prime Minister of Canada, recently, where he you know he's on the floor of the Parliament and. And kind of brushed against uh, a, a lady MP, and at some point, who, you know, I'm sure it wasn't deliberate, but he, he sort of elbowed her, and she and she felt offended to such a degree that she made a big stink about it. And uh, and after that, he had to give some big speech about how, you know, how wrong he was, and 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 he was. Until he made that speech, he was demonized as a kind of a, a terrible, terrible man, a terrible person. Um, and, and now we have him kind of uh, virtue signaling and, and saying all of these things that, 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 you know, it's like he's learned his lesson and, and he's taken it to its, its uh, furthest logical end um, in, in all of his
4: uh, PC liberal uh, rhetoric. Well, mm-hmm. I think the, the take home message from that is that Trudeau has always been a, like a spineless leftist feminist, but uh, no one is is safe from, you know, the wrath of the feminists, even their greatest supporters. And, uh, you know, the first victims of the revolution are the, the people that started the revolution. But um, right. l- l- let's take a call. We've got uh, we've got someone on the line. OK, who do we have on the line with us?
1: Hey, it's Brent from New York.
4: Hey, Brent. How's it going? Hey, Brent.
1: Good. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Um, I just had a little anecdote I wanted to share um that happened uh, over the last 24 hours really on Facebook. Uh, I have friends in a wide variety of different communities and this one guy is a he's in like the activist uh he identifies as anti-civ um community in Philadelphia and he, he shared happened. a picture what? <laughs> Anti civilization. So these are, these oh. are generally folks who think that we should all be, uh, you know, back in the woods hunting and gathering and that would solve all of our mm. problems. Mm. So he posted this picture, which is a, is a copy of a tweet, a bunch of white people that kind of like lined up at a sporting event and then right next to them is a bunch of crackers kind of like laid out next to each other. And just, you know, being who I am, I just commented one word and I put it in parentheses because I was whispering it and I was just like, racism just to try to drop that and it spawned like a 60-year reply conversation on how you can't be racist against white people and um the the mental gymnastics that these folks were going through were just so fascinating a lot of it was just sort of like hate speech basically i was getting a lot of hate directed at me um but a few of them actually tried to engage and, and give reasons um and i saw the famous uh Thing that george peterson pointed out about how even things like rational uh, thought and and reason are under a fire these days when somebody brought up that you know I, I mentioned that we were having a conversation based on rational thought and reason and this person called it um, well he, he used an epithet but he said reason was quite suspect um and he didn't elaborate further without you know really describing what he was saying mm. um and another one came in and started to tell me that, um, you know, white people as the dominant group can't, uh, can't suffer racism because racism is this, uh, unique combination of power and prejudice, which, um, seems to be what's coming out of academia and why Jordan Peterson is so, um, you know, warring against the, the more social justice aspects of the humanities. And mm-hmm. to it was just really kind of disturbing that a lot of the, a lot of it was just, uh, it seems like, you know, hate directed at white people, a very generalized sort of hate. Um, and, and even a lot of white people were participating in the hating on white people thing, which I found fascinating as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, well, that's, that's, an these,
3: of, that's an example of the, the, what we were talking about earlier on is the, the, the care taste bud uh, trumping loyalty. Uh, the, certainly, it, it's quite easy for those people to to dismiss or overlook any sense of uh, loyalty to 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 white people. They don't they don't identify. These are these are the real anti-racists, let's say, who don't see or they're colorblind, right? And they're allowed to be colorblind, you know, as long as you're a, a self-hating white person, you know. Uh, you don't see you don't you don't um, you don't identify with with you know in any kind of a situation where where say in, in this situation where that you're describing where white people are being attacked for being white it's basically racism but you have white people saying no that's not racism you know attack me all you want basically you know it's just they become their version of the self-hating jew the 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 claim of the self-hating jew you know (laughs) where you're not allowed to have any kind of sense of personal morality that is that diverges from the from the ideology of equality and anti-oppression and anti-racism right so i mean all of that's gone. The, your, your only ideology is to uh, support the designated oppressed people. Yeah. And if you are the one who is identified as the one who is part of the oppression, well, then you have to effectively hate yourself. Uh, and, of course, they won't expect you to go around punching yourself in the face. But they do the right, expect you at, to shut up. Well, they do expect you to either shut up or shout very loudly about how evil you are, you and all of your kind.
1: Yeah, and this one guy gave me a rather academic layout of like five major points, which I it, it was fun to go through, um, and it does give insight into how these folks are thinking about things. Um, but it, it just it's. It's it's definitely like looking into bizarro world. And one of the funny things was <clears throat> one of the people from the other side of the conversation who sort of identifies with all this, you know, was reading my commentary and said the same thing about my comments, like it was looking into bizarro world. So it's like we're on opposite mm. sides of some weird mirror. And right. it's very difficult for mm. either side to sort of grasp the the fundamental logic of the uh, the other side. I mean, I, it doesn't seem like they're using a whole lot of logic. What it seems like is that there's a lot of emotion um, and, you know, we've got generations of trauma on the side of people of color in this country, which, I mean, I understand, it sucks, it's terrible, um, but I don't think it's... I was trying to explain that, you know, you don't fix it by starting to, you know, scapegoat another population. Like, that's just kind of more of what we've seen in the history of the human race. Um, yeah. So it doesn't... It's not going well, arg- to fix it. <laughs>
3: even that argument about generations of trauma on the part of, uh, you know... What do you call them? People of color? Is that what I have to call them? People, I, I can't call them African-Americans. I think,
1: I think that's the... No, African-American, I think, is still fine. Uh, but people of color is a more inclusive term. Can I say African-Canadian as well? I suppose you could. I'm not well, sure. I'm not really an authority We have to on go that far. Afri- like African-Irish people,
3: African-English people, African-French I don't know. It's a bit silly. Anyway, um, but yeah, I suppose we have to come up with something since we're not allowed to just call each other human beings. We have to come up with something. Some racial de- designation, right? Which is interesting, coming from anti-racists, that you have to actually have a racial racial designation.
1: Um, well, but and the weird thing was too is he was arguing that race doesn't exist. It's another one of this, the arguments points in the concept oh, of yeah? a white race. The white race doesn't yeah. exist because it's a an invention by white supremacists. Um, but racism, yeah. but then,
3: So then, Why so are they are hating on it then? But then only the black, only but then black the uh, black race or uh, doesn't exist either, except as a construct of the white. Uh, racism, right? So racism oh, yeah, does exist.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a very weird sort of circular set of rules that only apply uh, for one also, side. It's also called bullshit. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, well, you know, when you follow it through, you follow
3: these people's logics through, and it's, it's 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 you know it's 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 a, it's a circular argument. You know, it's it's the definition of just nonsense. You know, um, where it has no. It, does, it has no logical follow through. It doesn't actually make any sense. You know, there's no logic to it whatsoever. You when you follow it through, but the, but that idea of of, of um, genera- generations of traumas suffered by uh, black people um, in America or people of color or whatever pox. Uh, you're not allowed to call them pox. That's a bad word. P O C. I thought I, I thought pox. That's how you pronounce it. Pox. But pox is like a, 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 a like a sickness. A sickness, right? anyway it's very hard to navigate um (laughs) um, i every the the idea of the idea of generations of trauma amongst the people is again this idea of it's an appropriation you know they talk about cultural appropriation well there's there's oppression appropriation that is going on all over the place here you know uh that's kind of what defines it uh, as we've been talking about people are appropriating the suffering from of people from uh, anybody anybody in in the country that you can identify as having suffered you can give a a speech about or a a talk about how here's how they suffered in in the past or you can take people from around the world and and appropriate their suffering and then make a cause of it and get your ass out in the street to protest about it and get some attention for yourself right that's the whole point right um but that idea that argument of of black people have suffered a lot in american history is I mean, focusing that, on that is only going to cause problems, you know? And it's it's not even true in the sense that... Because everybody... People have suffered... People people suffer alone, you know? It's bullshit. Yeah. I call it bullshit on that because people suffer on their own. Individuals suffer. Uh, and that's that's where the suffering is real. You can't, like, take... Claim someone else's or even other people of your own racial designation or religious designation or whatever and claim that because they... Because they suffered, that you also share in their suffering because you have the same skin color. Because that's racism for a start. You're defi- you know, you're you're. If there's no such a thing as racism, well, you're again, it's a it's a stupid argument. Um, but that just that's used by people to, like we were talking earlier on the show, to try and leverage or provoke this kind of emotional response from people, get you to feel sorry for them, and get you to shut up and, you know, give your energy and your attention or your support to to their cause. And ultimately, their cause is. Like in the same way that suffering is an individual experience, these people are after the individual experience of their own aggrandizement, of their own. They're seeking power for themselves by way of joining a group that then seeks power because there's more force within or more power, more more, more um, they, they can of more effect as a group, lobbying as a group. But each of them is individually seeking power for themselves and everybody, like Peterson talks about, is just, you know, shut the hell up, go and clean your room and sort your own life out, you know? If, if you're a black person in America, go and make yourself better. There's plenty of avenues for, for black people or any minority, including white minorities in America to improve themselves in one way or another, improve their situation. If there's something about it you don't like, improve it today. You live today. You don't live, you know, 60 years ago or 100 years ago or 200 years ago, back when when slavery was a thing, you know? Just as I don't yeah. live, you know, 200 years ago when the, when the dirty English were... We're oppressing Irish people, right? I don't live then. I don't carry that with me, and I'm not trying to get something off the backs of the suffering of my forebears. You know, which is completely cynical. You know.
1: Well, and the other thing that it kind of does is it sort of invalidates the suffering, like you said. It's it's on an individual level. Like there were have, I mean, white people didn't have it so great 200 years ago in this country. You know, on the whole. I mean, granted, a lot of them did, but many of them did not, and. It's, it's kind of one thing, you know, you're basically checking this like hierarchy of who suffered the most and then sort of mm-hmm. trying to use that as leverage to get people to sort of side with you and say, OK, we need to give you know these people more power. Um, and, and what it does come down to, it seems like a lot of them are, you know, in this mindset that we need some sort of like revolution or socialist up- uh, you know, overthrow and, and radical redistribution. I mean, I would have no problem with a lot of the super rich people losing a little bit of their money and having it going down Mm -hmm. to help some people at the very bottom. But, you know, we don't need a huge revolution to accomplish that. You know, we can we have methods and and systems in place where we can do it. Yeah. But it's just uh, it's it's scary. And one of the groups that was referenced is this. um, They're called the Uhuru Solidarity uh, Mm -hmm. something. And if you look at their website, you can see that they have the, a lot of the same, you're with us or against us. Um, you know, white power was, is the problem in this country. And, you know, we need like a radical socialist, uh, you know, revival. And they already have little co-ops, I think out somewhere in, in the Midwest, in the Detroit area. So it's, it's interesting to see. It's interesting to watch, but it's scary. On the other hand, you yeah. know, it's just a yeah. complete but lack especially- of logic.
3: Yeah, and especially when you when you realize that you know the the lessons of the you see the lessons of the past and how it happened that from almost from one day to the next uh, things change radically. You know, so uh, you can you can be you can be thinking right up to the day before disaster strikes and 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 society just you know within a short period of time completely collapses. You can be thinking that it's just. uh, yes, it's interesting this social dynamic that's going on. And then boom, mm-hmm. the next day, that's the, the day one of maybe a few week period when everything goes to hell, you know. So that's why people like, uh, Pearson, who are sounding the alarm bell, uh, really are, are needed, you know, because you don't know. I mean, there's no, there's no clear kind of roadmap or, or template that you can see that, okay, if it reaches this point, then it's going to tip over into complete chaos. You know, it's not really known when that happens and nobody can know when that happens. But so in that case, you just don't go there. You don't even start down the road, you know. But unfortunately, we're pretty far down the road.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of powerful people who have, you know, sopped up a lot of this. I mean, I think of it as indoctrination, really, because it's just a complete lack of historical perspective and really a huge lack of knowledge And is really what the problem is. Absolutely. But anyway, that was just my problem. little anecdote I wanted to share with y'all. Okay. Well, thanks. It was appreciated. Can thanks, I Brent. No problem. Keep it up. See you later. Okay. Okay.
3: Bye-bye. bye um, Yeah, Yeah, the, there's a good It's, it's short excerpt by P.D. Ospensky of what his observation, he was in the Soviet, in Russia, slash the Soviet Union.
4: Um, at, the, ta- at the
3: time of the Bolshevik revolution and what they did and his, basically his, I mean he describes it all but the summary is that they just wrecked the place not, you know, to some some extent physically killing lots of people but they ground, they, they, they stall, completely stopped all industry, you know, and it's kind of snowballed very quickly, you know, and they had people in different areas ready to rise up and they were able to stop the economy completely all the factories, everything stopped and people started starving to death, and they didn't give a shit because you no know, food was being delivered. People were starving. There was chaos. Everything. Well, they, and they, and that what well, the reason they did that, their justification for doing that was based on this ideology of oppression, which was they looked at a factory, they saw the managers in the factory, and they saw the lower lower level workers, and they said <clears throat> that's unfair. Why should those people in the uh, the lower level workers have to work you know twelve hours a day when the manager gets to sit in an office for eight hours a day? That's un- fundamentally unfair, and and we and they obviously went militant about it and decided they were going to you know physically change it, and they go in with guns and they, they stop all of industry and they, they kill the they kill or run the, the, the managers and the, the, the upper level management out of town and they put the workers into the manager's office, sit your ass down and that's it you're running this business now, a guy who's used to maybe digging holes, and he's like I I don't know how to, I what what do you mean? Shut up and do it. You've been liberated. <laughs> and can, I mean, for me, it's not a stretch that some 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 version of that could happen in, in, in Western countries.
0: Yeah.
3: If well, it gets the, to the inherent, point. Go ahead. I was just going to say that that's the
2: inherent contradiction. I mean, it's like we, we just exported uh, freedom and democracy in, in Ukraine, uh, put a bunch of uh, right-wing uh, you know neo-Nazis in power, and, uh, and you don't hear a single uh, liberal-minded individual in the U.S. say word one about it.
4: Uh, yeah, where's Antifa? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Where, you know, where are these, where are these leftist uh, individuals who care so much about racism and equality? Uh, and who hate fascists. And who hate fascists. Where, where are they about uh, the U.S., this great bastion of, of uh, liberalism? Uh, what are they saying about what we're doing around the world? Uh, so uh, th- that's you know, and you do this enough times around the world, it's going to come. It it if we're generating this idea, if we're creating, if this contradiction exists here, uh, it's going to come back here in a in a much bigger way. Um, so yeah, it, it's quite dangerous, and and uh, I I do think we're seeing the makings of uh, of Blood on the streets, in a, in a certain sense, uh, but not in the yeah. way that uh, they, they think it's going to happen.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: It never is, unfortunately. When you put a bunch of idiots, ideologically driven idiots, in it's charge, still, we have it's a call.
4: Okay, yes, we've got Stephen on the line. Stephen, hello.
5: Hey, how are y'all doing?
4: Good. How about you? How'd not you, too bad. Not doing great. Job? I'm doing
5: great. Do um, I've just I've just uh, switched to uh, transgender.
4: <laughs> Good and,
5: job. Um, the best move I've ever made in my life. I'm yeah, only, what are the only benefits? Tra- well, are the pronouns, only, Steve? well, Well, I can say I'm the only transgender late cleaning guy in the entire world, and um, <laughs> that's a that's distinction. Unique.
4: Therefore, you're and, the most oppressed.
5: Yes. Yeah, so, like, when I, I should... go buy a wetsuit, when I buy a wetsuit, I have to buy a woman's wetsuit. And then yeah. I buy shorts, I buy, you know, women's shorts. But um the weird thing is nobody notices. <laughs>
3: uh. <laughs> nobody notices. That's not fair. So,
5: but uh but you know, I'm I'm I concur with a lot of your discussion so far, especially the last point she made with uh yeah, where are these people with respect to uh the Ukrainian fascists and so forth? It just it's amazing how um Uh, political consciousness of what used to be comprised the the left, the anti-war has been almost totally shut down, totally shut down. And then we focus on these outrages of like these silly notions that, that 95%, I would, I would even venture to say 95% of the population, whether you voted for Hillary or Trump, they look at this and they're like, oh, my God, more bullshit. But I think there's a I think that there is a um, pragmatic uh, function to all of this. Um, when you're talking about the, these uh, the latest outrages of what Trump said about women and or blacks or whatever, you're not talking about, wow, we don't have you know, there's people dying because they don't have health care. Uh, wages aren't rising uh, commensurate with prices. Um, these are the these are the issues that um, are shut down right now as far as discussion and any kind of political coherent political movement that we could that we could uh, actually change things through our solidarity, our mobilization on key issues that that people of. Uh, you know, of the working class would would generally agree upon. And that would definitely mean uh, going against, you know, the Republicans and Trump on that, like wages, for example. Um, mm-hmm. But um, the Democrats are total no shows because and the reality is the Democrats don't want to see these issues forwarded either. And this is and this is the the dirty little secret. Um, the Democrats don't want to see these issues forward because the people that fund them are Wall Street and the bankers and the huge corporations. And they. so th- it's it's ridiculous, but we are making no movement at all. People's political consciousness as far as war and imperialism are at an all-time low from what I can see. There's a, a segment of the left, um, of, of people that call themselves the left, that do focus on things like Syria and Russia, but they're the same ones that, that they're, they're the people that reject Russiagate. They don't even get into these gender wars, bull crap, transgender. They don't even focus on that. And that's maybe 5%, and I have no, I have no gauge, but when I just look at the range of progressive um, and liberal publications out there and thought leaders, you know, there's maybe five percent that are that are that are anti-war, anti-imperialism and pro-working class, um, you know, and so forth. Because um, when you really think about life in human society, one of the one of the core rules is, it seems to me anyway, is that might makes right. And it, and it, it sounds harsh. You know, you might not like oh, you might not like the way it sounds, but it's really true that might makes right. So all of these groups that have been um, as a group focused on and done injustice, like the Japanese being interned in the United States during World War Two, um, all kinds of groups have been oppressed. They plea for the people with power to just be a little bit nicer. And, and that's what. And that's the only thing that, that, mm-hmm. that people have. And, but, and but they get what we have. Lives. Exactly, exactly. Like, but what we have as working, uh, I'm, I'm of the more traditional, um, mind view of the left is that, um, we should look at it ourselves as a class, um, a working class. And these, our interests bridge all of these individual sexual preferences. Um, you know, ethnic backgrounds and so forth, the gender, and we can focus on just making movement and improving people's lives materially and getting something done. But that is nowhere on the horizon. So I suspect that a lot of this transgender stuff, all of this, you know, I'm, I'm just like everybody else. When I, when I see a story of the latest outrage, like this teacher in Miami, um, there was a teacher from a Catholic, uh, school that got married, uh, to her, uh, her, her girlfriend for a long time. And she was fired from a Catholic school in, um, in Miami, right? And, um, you, you could, I can understand that. And there's another teacher that was fired from a university because the teacher insisted to a student that Australia was a continent, not a nation. Mm. Isn't, and um, she was fired because she was an idiot. But, you know, there's all of these, there's all these salacious stories that we focus on. But I think that the, when you just step back at the larger reality is that military budgets go up, um, cost of living goes up, the quality of living, the quality of life for the lower 50 percent of the U.S. population is going down. Um, people live in, in hellish uh, conditions. Um, just precisely because wages haven't cut pay- pace with inflation, um, for o- over these years. So they always debate like the, I've seen this trend happen over and over where they'll, the Democrats will champion the minimum wage. It'll take a couple years and whatever they champion and settle upon and, and, and um, you know, hash out with the Republicans will be like a 50 cent raise, a, you know, a dollar raise. It's going to be implemented over two years. When, in fact, when you look at the pro, and five years goes by. And so when you finally get the minimum wage increase, it's the, the prices in the last five years have outpaced the minimum wage increase. You know, this happens over and over and over. And, and I, it's a coordinated, it's a coordinated strategy between the Democrats and the Republicans. So.
3: Right. Yeah. Well, what about, uh, what's your take on, um, On white privilege do you have any privilege
5: oh my god i i just uh so i guess privilege i I would like to examine that term first um privilege would mean an unearned advantage right is Mm. that what it comes down to and um well you could um you can always argue that somebody who's in a rich family born into a rich family is privileged and I don't think most people would disagree with it. <laughs> but the way these social justice warriors are using it is to browbeat people like me, um, you know, to browbeat people like me mm-hmm. and other white people and just I- imply that you have some kind of unearned advantage over other people. So mm-hmm. then, you know, what, what's supposed to result from that realization? You're supposed to uh, quit your job and let somebody let somebody, an African-American or, or Latino or whatever, take your job
3: from you. Right.
5: Because, of,
3: you're you're because of your... Well, no, because of your... You've got racial guilt, right? As part of the white race, which you obviously identify with because of your mm-hmm. skin color. Um, there's these historical uh, injustices that you are responsible for as a descendant of the people who committed those injustices against the people, uh, the descendants of the people who, who are oppressed. And therefore, to make up for that in the past and any remnants of it today, you should do something like that. I mean, it's just about, it's about justice, about fairness, you know, it's about being fair. And and you know what
5: this, what this, what happens here is this, um, this divide, this whole discourse totally divides and creates animosity among the working class. And that's, and that, that is the nail on the head right there. That's what it's intended to do. Right. Whoever these leaders like Linda Sassoor or all these other, if they're making 150 grand a year, come on, somebody's paying that, and they're 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 paying it for a reason. They're not going to be paying somebody to go organize workers to force Walmart um, or big corporations, McDonald's, to have to pay more. They're not going. But and you you notice that that's not even on their agenda. Their agenda is just to divide, get people hating each other. And that way that, uh, the lower 50%, you know, are divided as ever. And, um, uh-huh. I think, I think that that is the function of the social justice warrior. And now there's the college students, the people that the antifas, they're kind of like, uh, they go out, they're young, they're kind of dumb, you know, they don't know that, but the higher ups, you know, know, know the function of these movements mm-hmm. and they're, and they, and they, they know that the game plan is always keep the working class divided. Right. Always never, never allow a union to develop. Um, you know, when they've brainwashed people to believe that you can't better your life through worker solidarity and being able to force, put pressure on huge corporations to pay more money. When they convince you, you can't do that. They have won. And that's but that's been going on for decades and it's it's palpable, it's disgusting, and um I for from myself, I really don't think things are going to change in this country until there is a substantial uh economic collapse. But um I really don't and the other thing, like I said before, I don't I don't see most people believing in the social justice warrior. They're kind of like they're curious about it, the latest like outrages from it. It's 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 fun to read, you know, the latest silly stuff coming from them. But there but there's only five percent that buy into it and, um, and are the real activists of it. And you'll notice as well. And among the social justice warrior, um, the leaders of these groups of, of young people, whatever, they're from upper middle class or middle class backgrounds in general mm-hmm. that are in universities. They don't. And, um, oh, just one last, on a side note, um, I had a conversation with, uh, you know, I, I go through periods where it looks like work is going to be short. And then I hear that, uh, oh, I, d- I might not get this job because a group of Mexicans will do it for cheaper. Um, and I had this woman online tell me, like, Steve, don't, don't be upset about this. We're, we're all in this together. She's living in she's paying four thousand dollars a month for a nice house in the northeast. Her husband's a professional and she's telling me that we're all in this together. You follow me? Yeah, it is. It is so ludicrous. I'm not a hater. It's a, immigration a very complicated issue, but I have to hustle and I have to go out and do work that even Guatemalans and Mexicans and Hondurans would rather not do just so i can have work and and it just to my benefit i found a niche that that is hard to do and if i can if i can if i can as i've um if you get some good wealthy clients they treat you well and you can you can make it by but um you know these people um the liberals and the social justice left and the democratic party left progressives i have I'm just totally down on them right now, big time. Good job. But anyway, <laughs> so I'm going easy. to Cuba. I'm going to Cuba this week. Okay. I'll be traveling to Cuba for a week, and then I'll um, I'll be just staying in Havana, meeting my fiance and mm. so forth. So I'll fill you in when I come back. Okay.
4: Yeah, cool. yeah let us know, Stephen.
3: <laughs>
4: okay. Well, thank y'all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Time. Thanks.
5: I appreciate
3: Steven. y'all. Take care. Bye-bye. Take you back, bye. Bye. See you, bye, See ya. The um, the thing about the uh, privilege is is a little nonsense as well. It all comes down to your perspective on life, you know, um, and what's meaningful in life. Uh, some upper, some rich kid born into a rich family <coughs> has has a privilege, yeah, for material goods, but they can live a crappy, uh, you know, unfulfilled, meaningless life, you know. I mean, they're not necessarily they can, happy, you know.
4: So and they can still be total you know, failures at life.
3: Right, and, and yeah, and many, quite a lot of them actually are, you know. Even yeah. if they're in fancy positions, you know, they're actually stupid, ignorant people. You know, there's no actual fulfilment in life, you know. Um, so this idea that you know that because I'm I'm poorer than someone else means that I'm uh, underprivileged is is not the case. It's about <clears throat> it's about the meaning. That, that your life has in the sense of uh, you know achievement or satisfaction of and that's why Peterson says you know forget about comparing yourself to other people compare yourself to how you were yesterday uh, that's your only valid uh, reference point for 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 where you are today and, 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 and whether you should be happy or content or whatever, or, or not, is have you, are you better than, have you sorted out problems that you had yesterday, today? Um, <clears throat> but the other thing about it is is that it fits with the idea of um, that, that, that appeal to meaning to focus on uh, the will to meaning in life as opposed to the will to power, or will to wealth, uh, is interesting because uh, it, it's dismissed. It's, it's Peterson's, uh, his, um, his message is effective, is is that, you know, improve yourself and find meaning in in life uh, through, as he says, bearing responsibility and and showing that you're a a person who can actually handle life and deal with life and that's where you'll find the most satisfaction. But uh, that that idea is dismissed, obviously, by these leftists and you find that leftists, uh, a disproportionate number of them, certainly more than those on the right or conservatives, are kind of non-religious or atheist. atheists Um, and that's kind of interesting you know because it obviously goes back to the stuff we're talking about earlier on with uh, Stephen uh, um, with Height's book about these moral kind of taste buds um, where they don't have the leftists don't have the authority the idea of authority uh, in their lives that would would kind of govern their their perspective or, or their view on life Um, And that obviously applies to religion, you know, Uh, religious people who have some kind of religious belief, you know, uh, pose or posit a a higher authority in their lives, you know, Um, and people who... Authority
0: authority and also sanctity.
3: And sanctity, yes, uh, sanctity, yeah, go together. So, uh, but leftists tend to be more atheistic and therefore, uh, fundamentally, if you're an atheist, your life has no meaning. Uh, yes. People, people, atheists don't realize that, but there, there actually is no meaning to their lives because the atheist, uh, the atheist cosmology, if you want to call it that, is that. I mean, they like to, put, they like to talk about it and, and shove it in people's faces. They they put up a little quote, uh, people saying that scientists, let's say, saying that, um, you know, in in X number of million years or whatever it is, uh, the Earth will be burned up to a crisp. Uh, by the sun and there will be absolutely no trace whatsoever of humanity. which oh, they there a part. That's a, that by definition means that your life has no meaning. There's no meaning to human life mm-hmm. if there will be no trace of whatsoever. And that's where we're, we're more importantly, that's where you can see that we're going. You know, but when you look forward and you say that well, life is meaningless because we're just going to be burnt up and there'll be no, no no meaning, no trace. It'll be gone. It'll be, it will not form a part of existence anywhere. That's the definition of no meaning in your life. So people like that obviously have no, there's no appeal to them. You can't appeal to them to or, or inc- encouraging them the idea of, you know, a higher power or some some meaning in their life in that way. And therefore they have no good reason not to burn it all down right now because the sun's going to do it in a few million years or X number of million years. So pfft, well you're all going to die anyway. We're all going to die anyway. So what's the point, you know? And that can be very easily leveraged, you know, uh, in, in these people who don't have that. Uh, that idea or, or awareness or um, let's say appreciation for the transcendent or something transcendent, something higher than the higher power in their lives. And in fact, on, on Earth, what they're doing is they're trying to pull down the power structures, the hierarchy uh, on 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 the uh, on, on planet, you know, in the world. Yeah. Um, so they're very just, dangerous people.
4: I just want to say something about atheists. Uh Yeah because um, you well, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be too hard on all atheists. Um, because um I think that even even there are even a lot of atheists who do have um like some moral foundations and that uh, try to live lives of meaning. But I think the problem the problem that they run into is that they have no good justification for doing so. They'll come up with reasons, right. but that's why I say but, they're dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, and so it can be taken reasons, away at any moment right that, that's it so that when a, when an atheist like comes up with a you know some kind of justification for why you know why they should be good um, they may be good to some degree but when you I think like the subconscious and the body are smarter than you know our conscious mind and when you when you contradict yourself or when you don't have a good reason for something or when you get something wrong, there's some, like, essential part of yourself that knows that and knows that something's not going right, right? And I think uh, Peterson explains that or describes this in such a way that, um, you know, it's basically you lose touch with reality. So you, you can tell you're doing something wrong, um, like, fundamentally wrong when what you're doing doesn't give you the results that, you, that you're looking for. But there's also, um, like, it, this gets into like the whole the whole function of reason even that the, that there are reasons for things and that when you have when you have a bad justification when you have a bad idea when you believe a lie essentially that has an effect like subconsciously and then that will affect that will uh like infect and affect the way you live your life and so even if you have atheists who are you know generally decent people when their worldview doesn't really provide a good justification for that that's when, like you said, Joe, when you get the situation where, it, with a bad foundation, that can just crumble in an instant, mm-hmm. and and that's what you see with a lot of the, um, like the atheist crowd, where it, when it takes the form of a, of a radical ideology, they don't have the foundation um, for a good justification for actually being good, and that just produces free license to the right. to the point where anything goes, and the, and Height even talks about that being a, a feature of, of liberals, is that because they have Um, like a very low taste bud for sanctity um, which he relates to um, like the the like the opposite of that would be the conservatives conservatives have a um, a really high sensitivity to disgust and Mm -hmm. those two things seem to be tied together like sanctity and disgust seem to be tied together where um, like people who have that sanctity moral foundation are disgusted by certain things like, not necessarily, like, well, it has it its roots in, like, food. Like, you're disgusted by, you know, putrefied rotten meat or something, or food. Like, it, it just grosses you out. um you, you can think of any number of things that gross people out. Well, people with a, a, a solid, like, sanctity moral foundation are grossed out by things that are, like, immoral or wrong. And when you don't have that sanctity, it's like you've got, well, it's like anything goes. So... So the doors get open, and this is when when you get the kind of slippery slope phenomenon, where um, because liberals are open to new ideas, and they're inclusive, and they, you know, they want to see other people's points of view, then you can get, you can definitely get a lot of positive things from that. Um, And, but but it goes in a strange direction. So we can see that with the gender politics, where it has been like uh, women's liberation, and then, um, you know, homosexual rights, and now the transgender thing. But it gets to the point where if you read even some, like, official documents, like policy documents from NGOs and, you know, all the way up to the UN, where the, the definitions are so vaguely worded that it it does get to the point where it is anything goes, where you can be theoretically charged with a hate crime for saying something bad about, like, bestiality or pedophilia or necrophilia, mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. because those are sexual... Uh, sexual identities right and right. and you can't discriminate against anything based on sex or, or sexuality and the whole idea is diversity and equality and um you know inclusivity yeah. but there's no there's no boundaries so liberals they don't have these boundaries and when you don't have boundaries like that that's that's when you get the you know the real sickos the psychopaths right. that, that can come in and just wreck the, you know wreck the place yeah and yeah. it so opens you the need, door yeah yeah, it opens the door. That's what you need, you know, you need conservatives in order to, you know, at least put up some little bit of barrier, some bit of a wall, some some like red line essentially, where you say, okay, you guys, we can't we can't cross this line because if we do, you know, we're we're done. And that's what liberals don't yeah. get.
3: Um Exactly. And uh, White Coast here asked a question about the idea of um on the forum, on the chat room asked Oh, he suggested there are naturalistic forms or, of transcendent or em, eminent morality. Are there not? No, there aren't.
0: If this this I, is something that I'd, I'd, like
3: I'd... To, I'd like to see some examples, but I don't. Uh, I don't think uh, there are any. I mean, and, and Peterson talks about this as well in the sense that um, this idea of altruism, or whatever he says, what what is. Uh, what, what, give 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 someone a good rational, or give me or anybody a good rational reason why it's 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 not a good idea, or i.e. it's it's not moral, <clears throat> using that term, for me to try and get whatever I want from you at any point in time by whatever means for myself. You know, where do you, where do you get that idea from? The idea that you shouldn't do that, that you should act. Uh, you know you should cooperate with other people you shouldn't try and exploit other people you should be nice to other people where do you get that idea from 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 a, from a purely uh, from, from the natural world it's not it's not in the natural world the natural world allows it the natural world yeah it, it almost mandates it the natural world is, is is survival of the fittest and this gets to the the point of the extent to which the, the completely you, you know the the unknown for most people extent to which or less animal biology or let's just call it biology influences and governs and dictates human behavior that's completely overlooked uh, by all, all of these people particularly on the left they have no idea about the forces and the drives the biological drives that influence their behavior on what they want and what they want and what they don't want um, and this is this is in that um, interview with a uh, recent interview with, from Vice News with um, Jordan Peterson, you know, where he's talking about uh, the guys asking about sexism or, or sexual harassment in the workplace and stuff, and it, you know, is it really really a thing? You know, the guy wasn't really believing that was something that he should get too worked up about. It's just about you know, just stopping men being leches, you know, and that's a good thing, you know. And Peterson said to him, uh, well, can men and women work together? And the guy said, of course they can work together. Don't be sad. I've got, I've got, I've got loads of female uh, co-workers. Um, and he said, how do you know? How do you know they can work together? He said, and he gave the example of NBC, which employs thousands of people in, uh, around the world, uh, is, is regulating hugging in the workplace. they have gone to the, the extent of having rules about hugging. Uh, you probably you're not allowed to hug, men and women are not allowed to hug to stop, sex, quote unquote, sexual harassment in the workplace because it's such, a, such an epidemic. You've got to stop it. So you have to, and that's, and that's pretty far down the line where you actually have laws for, effectively, company laws in, in, in the workplace where you're not allowed to hug. Well, what else are you going to add on to that? You're not allowed to look? What about a, a glance? What about looking at boobs or something, you know? Or whatever women look at. <coughs> are you going to, I mean, is that the next step? And if this is to stop sexual harassment and it doesn't work, if you still, if you still get, uh, have signs of harassment, if you still have women, let's say, saying, I still feel harassed by that man because the way he looked at me, well, then we'll have to regulate looking. And it, it gets to the ridiculous extreme where you obviously are going to have to segregate men and women. It's not too far down, line. You have to segregate them. Women, women and men will not be allowed to work in any company, in any workplace uh, together.
0: And ironically, you went back in the 19th century, but that ans- and understanding, right, learning all over again, right. why and, things were set up a certain but way. But that before.
3: answers his question that he posed them, which is, can men and women work together? And he says, if you're going to solve this problem, if you think this is a problem that has to be solved, you need to ask the right questions, go back to the very fundamental questions. In fact, the questions that are are implied by the actions that you're taking, can men and women work, to- work together? And he brings up the other thing about women wearing make- makeup. You know, if you want to really sanitize the work, <coughs> sanitize the workplace shouldn't women stop wearing makeup? said, like, no, Don't be silly, why will women wear makeup? They're just doing makeup for... Well, why do women wear lipstick? Because red lips, uh, you know, is a display or simulate uh, sexual sexual arousal or sexual attractiveness, mm-hmm. as does blush on your cheeks. And high heels, women wearing high heels, what the hell are women doing? Stop them. Come on, let's go the full Monty here, people. If men are going to be persecuted for being leches and the only source of sexual harassment in the workplace, then women, please stop provoking them, right? you are all getting frickin' cloth sacks and no makeup. In wow. fact, we'll put you all in a fricking burka, right? Burka's in the workplace. If you want to sort this out, burka's in the workplace. Because you, the point is, yeah, you'd like men to be able to stop being led and stuff. But you know what? They're just so atavistic and Neanderthal-like. You can't really force them to do it. It's in them. It's just part of their nature. Men are just like that. So if you really want them to be able to work together, women are going to have to step up and take some responsibility for it as well. I know it's a bit of a pain, but stop flashing your boobs in the workplace. You know, please, you know, that seems reasonable, right? No, well, let's go more than that. Let, like, ultimately, let's go to the burqa. Let's do the burqa in the workplace, right? And men can wear burqas as well in case women check out their asses because it's bad. It's right. It's bad. It's all wrong. But that's 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 the logical outcome of this. right? Well, if that's where it's going, then let's let's explore it all. You know, do you want to go there? Don't be such an idiot where you propose ideas that logically lead you to a conclusion that then you decide you don't want to do because it's, it's stupid. Don't be a freaking idiot. Go to where your your train of thought uh, leads you. The end destination. Follow it, and then decide: Do you want to go there? Oh, well, maybe you haven't thought about it enough. Then they haven't. No, which is why things are legislated
0: ad hoc, and why it's hard. Why it's difficult to pinpoint a conspiracy, an actual intended intended organization behind this, because it. Uh, this is the problem with great utopian ideals. You know, you unleash a sexual revolution, and decades later, you're having to mandate, penalise. Uh, another example is from France, where catcalling is to be made illegal. They're currently working on a law to fine men on the spot for catcalling, uh, shouting at women in the street, even just going up and asking for their phone number.
3: Right.
0: It's it's. And, and by the way, this is this maybe a final word on, on the other thing in our title, the totalitarianism. Because you, you might ask, well, how does how do these petty things that affect you know only those crazies over there, the SJW's, but which we see are gradually seeping into other areas of life. Well, how does that add up to a rerun of Nazi Germany? Because you, you kind of can't see it on the face of it. I mean. But the thing is, it, it's happening in a kind of, loath to say, natural way, but it, it, it's unfolding in an ad hoc way where the solutions to fix the problems that arose from the original ideals are creating more of the same problems. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's, that, that's why you, we can sit here and logically work out and foresee. Well, the end game of this is Saudi Arabia becomes universal. We we all it's live in the United States of Saudi Arabia.
3: Yeah, that's what the Saudis want. Mm-hmm. Wait, that's why they're building mosques. Now, <clears throat> it's um, <clears throat> how it's going to play. It, it, there are many parallels with Nazi Germany, but just with the added complexity that you expect from four times the global population and it not being limited limited to one country. Uh, it happening, you know, probably more than four times because in Germany you had whatever X number, 40 40 million people or something, and it was one country and one ideology in that country that spread outwards. This is something that's happening maybe centered on the US, which is 350 million people, but spread, you know, over a lot of Western Europe and and, and around the world as well and across different cultures and stuff, but it's taking hold. It's a much, much, it's more evolved, it's a more complex, smarter version of what they did in Nazi Germany, basically and it, and what we see in the same with the with, with the Bolshevik revolution sam stalin and stuff it was about oppression in nazi germany was about oppression the Bolsheviks were about oppression in america it's, today it's about oppression anybody give me a good reason why it's not going to go to the same the same direction are we so evolved 70 years of just we're, we're so much better than that now no listen to the discourse it's actually worse it's, it's as bad as nazi germany and it's and it's in its nonsensicalness you know and it's in its inanity it's exactly the same, mm-hmm. uh, and so there's no reason to think that's not going to go in, go in the same direction. And the cleverness of it uh, is that it it's so well disguised. Mm-hmm.
2: It, right. It's, and that's that gets back to the show description how pernicious and subtle it is, uh, because it, it brands itself as humanitarian. It brands itself right. as as caring and as liberal and as uh, you know. Um, heart-based, uh, when it's exactly the opposite. Um, but you know, I would say it, it's one of the, the, the great things to, to see about our world today, the, 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 great things to understand about where things are going. Um, and, uh, for that reason, this is, uh, probably one of the most important topics we've, we've been covering here for, for a while and we'll continue to cover, and um, I don't know. Do we have any more points that we want to make on this today, or did we no, want to move on to Syria? It's an
3: evolving. It's an evolving issue. I think we'll uh, we'll leave it there. You know, we'll probably come back to it as you say. You know. Yeah. Um.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll end it there then. I'd just add on the on on the doomsday note that. After reading Stephen Baskerville's book on uh, the, the new politics of sex, it's really terrifying because pretty much all of the infrastructure is like, and all this, you know, all the kind of bureaucracies are in place. Like all, it, all it would take is a flick of a switch, and right. and we'd be living in, you know, you know, in the Soviet Union essentially, or Saudi Arabia, yeah. you know, the modern equivalent.
3: Were people who say to say where people who don't say and think the right things are going to jail, are going to prison, are going to some kind of a, mm-hmm. kind of a lock-up. Yep. People don't think it'll go there. Well, you know, good luck with that one. Just, uh, you know, nonchalantly, you know, carry on there as if it's all going to remain the same despite the evidence, you know, flying in your face um, and, and you'll be much, much worse off mm-hmm. for ignoring it. All right. The book was Stephen Baskerville's The New Politics of Sex, Red Fox. Yes. Alright. Well All right. Like we said, we'll end there, Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh we hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for our chatters, thanks for our callers. We'll be back next week with another one.
4: Till then. Bye.
0: See you next week. Bye bye.
4: Take care.